Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Ve salatu vesselamu ala Resulillah. Ve ala alihi ve sahbihi. Ve men wala. Allahumma salli ve sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammed. So we're here in the aphorisms of Ibn Ata'ala secondary. Rahimahullah ta'ala. May Allah have mercy on him. And may Allah give us benefit. Or give us and him benefit from his knowledge in this life and the next. Ameen. Um, so. Here we go. We are on 51. Yeah, so Bismillah. Qala al-Musannifu rahimahullah ta'ala wa nafunallahu ya'ala Where he says, La amala arja lin qabool min amalin yaghibu anka shuhuduhu wa yuhtaqaru indaka wujuduhu. <clears throat> so the translation of that is No deed is more fruitful for the heart Than the one you are not aware of And which is deemed paltry, paltry by you So what is this getting at? It's getting at what kind of deeds then uh, If we saw the one before it if Just to kind of bring us back to that The one before it Talks about the mistakes that the person does So it was saying that there's no Mistake that we would look at as being small If we put it in front of Allah's justice And there's no mistake that we would look at as being big If we put it in front of Allah's mercy So depending on which angle you're looking from Then, uh, you know, it will take a different interpretation So this is now moving It's not talking about sins now But it's talking about, or mistakes But rather it's talking about the good deeds that a person does and uh, so this one is, is saying then what kind of deeds are we going for? We're going for the kind of deeds that are mentioned in the hadith of the seven people that are in the shade of Allah on the day when there is no shade but His. And one of those people is the person who gives so freely with their right hand that their left hand doesn't even know what they're giving. So one of the ideas behind that is that, that that hand that's giving and giving and giving and giving, it's not paying attention to what it's giving, right? And so the, the idea here is that the good that a person does should ideally flow freely from their heart without um, being very carefully um, calculated, you know? Sometimes we have to push ourselves maybe to do something good Or maybe we're recognizing the good that we did to ourselves Maybe out of like trying to encourage ourselves to do more good or something like that Maybe there's some detail to that But generally speaking That we're feeding you We're giving you food For the sake of God and we don't want any thanks and we don't want any reward for that. This is just a, a good thing that I'm doing from the goodness of myself. And uh, I don't want anything in return for it, right? It's just this good thing that I'm going to do. And um, so similarly, what he's saying here is that this you have a good deed that comes from the heart. And this good deed that comes to the heart is one that you don't even see because you don't think that much about it. You don't think like, wow, mashallah, I did this amazing thing. Or uh, it's, it's just something you did for the sake of Allah. And 
not really paying that much attention to it. And, uh, you know, <coughs> this is the way of the Salihin. They might do, the righteous people, they will do things that, you know, might change the earth. And they don't look at it like they did anything. Or they don't want anyone to know about it. And they don't even themselves want to talk about it or, or um, you know, nothing. It's just, it's between me and my Lord. And they say that some of the righteous people, they're so... They they treat their their they have shyness and kind of like jealousy in in a sense over their deeds, the way that a a person might have that over like someone that they love really really dearly that they don't want that relationship that they have with that person that's between them and that person they don't want it to get out and for everyone else to know about the details of their relationship right, like the moments that they've shared together and the and all of the romantic things and the sunsets and whatever it might be like all of them that's between them and their and their lover, they don't want it to get out. And uh, they say that the righteous people are similar to that in terms of their relationship with God. So they might have like a night where they pray and they, they really feel that prayer and they don't want anyone to know about that or a dua that they make and they really felt that dua. They're not going to tell people about it or charity that they did or whatever. And these are all things that they're depositing in their account such that they find it on the day of judgment nobody knew about them and Allah gives them that reward so he says what is the thing that's more fruitful that's more beneficial for the heart is this deed that you don't even really you don't even really pay attention to it it's not like something that you were you don't you don't pay it no never mind and uh, they say actually that to not see one's deeds like to not pay attention to them is a sign of their acceptance and this is taken from a, a verse I'll read the commentary um, uh, he says this is a difficult verse to translate because there's actually multiple ways you could translate it although they um, generally refer to a similar meaning but he says that because the deed that is accepted it's raised and taken out of sight it's raised to God and taken out of sight and so that thing that your vision of it has been taken is is gone then that's an evidence of its acceptance and that is inferred by the verse and the verse is verse number 10 of Surat Fatir Surat Fatir um, which number is Fatir uh, someone might find it in the chat I think Fatir might be in like the 40s Fusilat is there Ghafir is 40 Fusilat is it's somewhere over there 42 Ashura actually maybe I'm wrong it might be 25 is Furqan anyways you'll find it um, and it's verse number 10 Fatir verse number 10 uh, 45 hmm. I don't know why I couldn't remember that but 35 there's 35 35 10 okay maybe that's why I couldn't remember <laughs> <laughs> 3510 okay uh, so that's the verse it says to him the, the the good word is raised to him 
and it's the good deed that raises it. So again, that's one of the translations, but the idea is that the good is raised to Allah. So they say that when it's raised to Allah, that means that you don't see it anymore. You just, you forgot about it. You went on with your business. Okay, so we move on to the next one. Some of these today are kind of, it's, as almost, it's almost like they were picked for the circumstances we're in right now. Um, and they're the ones that are these next couple ones that are coming up. So 52 is indama awrada alaykun warid litakuna bihi alayhi warida. Yeah. So he says that uh, he only made an inspiration come upon you so that you would go to him. He only made an inspiration come upon you so that you would go to him. So um, this roughly this roughly refers to the idea again of this this concept of al-warid. Um, uh, and many times in the in the hikam, in the aphorisms, you'll find this idea of al-warid and you'll find the idea of al-wird. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll come up over and over again So warid with the alif And the, the elongation Warid Is that which Allah descends down upon your heart It's, it's the, the Inspiration that he sends onto your heart Maybe he sends you an inspiration To call upon him Maybe he sends you an inspiration to check in on somebody Maybe he sends you an inspiration To make some sort of charity Whatever it might be and um, but those are wadded, they, they descend upon the hearts of the believers. And so um, and then the other one that, that, that comes up a lot here is the idea of wird, wird, W-I-R-D, with no elongation. And the wird is that regular thing that the believer engages in. So they might have a daily wird of asking Allah to forgive them a hundred times. Or reading a portion of the Qur'an every single day. Maybe they say, I'm going to read two pages of the Qur'an every day. That's their daily wird of the Qur'an. Or they say, uh, every single day I'm going to think about someone I haven't talked to in a while and I'm going to send them a message or I'm going to call them and see how they're doing. That would be their daily wird. Or they're going to um, intentionally have a conversation, a positive conversation with someone that they don't know and try to bring happiness into their day once every single day. So that would be their daily wird. So you get the idea. These are like things that one does regularly. Uh, so what this is saying is that he sends this inspiration, subhana, glorified and exalted is he. He sends these inspirations down on your heart so that you can come to him, so that you would go to him. You know, So to think like that just... Just the inspiration that comes into the heart to do something good is a gift from God. And He's sending you that gift so that you come so that you go to Him. Um, now I'll say more in the next one. We'll go to the next one and we'll say more, inshallah. So the next one is um he says, أَوْرَدَ عَلَيْكَ الْوَارِدْ لِيَسْتَلِمَكَ مِنْ يَدْ الْأَغْيَارِ 
وَيُحَرِّرَكَ مِنْ رِقِّ الْآثَارِ So this one and the next one are the ones that really are kind of like, I think, ones to reflect upon in our current global situation. Okay, so he says, He made an inspiration come upon you so as to get you out of the grip of alterities and free you from bondage to created things. Okay, and free you from bondage to created things. Um, the word is you can also look at it as kind of like a, a circumstance that occurs. So it might not be an inspiration that comes onto your heart, but it's a, it's a circumstance that causes you, forces you to reflect in a sense. And, um, you know, many of the, of the hikam kind of come up in these days. Um, so this is saying, he, the alterities are that which is other than God. Alterities, aghyar, is that which is other than God. And so basically what he's saying here is that he sends you these things, these things that happen, he sends them to you, onto your heart, into your circumstances, in order to pull you away from the grip of everything other than God, and to free you from the bondage of created things, to created things. So this is saying is that like a lot of times we get into certain grooves, right? Um... <coughs> even uh, we, we have maybe like certain tendencies certain things that we're used to and we, we develop dependencies on those things that are not necessarily dependencies that are healthy they start to give us an illusion of our own control of a, an illusion of our own power uh, an illusion of our own ability and then things happen where we're reminded that we really don't have control over anything and then that frees us from, from bondage to these created things. So we might think, for example, that, and even in these days, you know, we might think if I exercise and I wash my hands and I don't touch my face and I stay away from people and I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, but still like all kinds of people are still probably going to catch this illness that's going around, right? May Allah protect us and our families and our loved ones. But... Uh, it's it's a very clear reminder, I think, to the limitations of our power, and to. It's also, by the way, I think, a clear reminder of some of the things that we do have within our control. So, I'll give you an example. For probably like the last three years, I've really wanted to have chickens, but chickens are hard to have in Irvine. Is <laughs> you can't have them in an apartment, and um, you know, you you kind of have to have a little bit of a yard. When we were in Anaheim Hills, you could have some chickens. We probably could have had some chickens there, but you know, babies and stuff were taking up all the time. But for some time, I've I've really wanted to have chickens. I mean, wouldn't that be so cool? You have your own little chickens, you take care of them, you get to know them. They help you out in the yard fertilize some things eat some bugs and then you get your eggs right and i went to the grocery store today and mashallah there were things there that i didn't expect like there was plenty of milk last time i went there wasn't any milk and um sometimes when certain things are gone i feel happy because at least like people are buying reasonable things like most of the beans were gone and I was like, good, alhamdulillah, finally people are buying things that make sense. Um, but there were no eggs. There were no eggs in the whole store. 
the whole grocery store there are no eggs no pre-boiled eggs no eggs that you know just the regular ones in the in the bag i was like man subhanallah i could have been having chickens all this time if i had chickens then i wouldn't have an egg problem right i could just have my eggs in the morning i know one one of the imams he has chickens in his yard and um he gets like a good four to six eggs a day from his chickens and mashallah he has a big family so they eat them and they're uh, you know. so there are things that we control but these things none the, my point is in, in this hikmah is that these circumstances that we're in they're a reminder that, that really everything goes back to Allah and that we should limit our bondage to these created things and if we find that um, sometimes we'll be put in situations that remind us of that they will free us from the bondage to these created things so he makes sometimes the inspiration come to you to realize, you know, to get you out of the grip and make you, make you, give you like a reflection, give you a sense of gratitude, a sense of need, a sense of whatever it is, to, to break the grip of those material things. Um, one of the things that Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu used to say that I think is, is really profound is he used to say, إِخْشَوْشِنُوا فَإِنَّ النِّعْمَ لَا تَدُومُ used to say إِخْشَوْشِنُوا فَإِنَّ النِّعْمَ لَا تَدُومُ used to say that like basically be, t- be a little bit rough in your lifestyle a little bit tough and rough in your lifestyle because blessings don't last forever blessings don't last forever so you know inshallah the blessings that we have they last but you know sometimes they don't um You know, sometimes they don't. So may Allah make us firm and help us to be freed from our dependency on things other than Him. Inshallah, I mean. Okay, so that's number 53. 54. Awrada so he says now he's continuing kind of like this thing he made an inspiration come upon you so as to take you out of the prison of your existence into the unlimited space of your contemplation so again he has kind of like a um, a juxtaposition here the first position is the one who is completely focused on um, witnessing life through the lens of themselves okay so they witness life through the lens of themselves of course like we witness life through our own perspective but what i mean by that is that everything is focused on them so it's like i'm tired right now i'm hungry right now i don't really feel comfortable right now my foot fell asleep my room's too dark the weather's too cold the weather's too hot this, 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 all of these things. So when, when, when it's all about like my own personal existence, then we are living in a prison of that existence. And it starts to, and even if you like were to experiment with it, even if you don't actually, what's interesting about some of these things is that even if you don't really believe in them or believe them, even if you experiment them, you can feel them. So I said like, for example, they've done experiments on people smiling at other people for no reason like I'm just gonna or just smiling for no reason I'm gonna force myself to smile 
And they find that if the person forces themselves to smile for like a given amount of time, and they, they give them tests before and after about how they feel, they find that they feel better after they force themselves to smile. So I'm saying it's like I could just sit and make like every thought about myself, you know, about this and that, and I'm worried about this and the apartment and this and the room and whatever and the blinds and all of these material things that are around. And you'll feel it like caving in, like the, it's becoming a prison. Uh, it's becoming a prison that that uh, traps us in, right? And at the same time, if we do the opposite, which is to escape from that prison, is that Alibi? MashaAllah, wow. Good to see you. Are you here? Oh, okay. MashaAllah. So if, when you escape from that, when, but how do you escape from that prison then? Is you move into the world of shuhud. So one of them is a prison and the other one is, is a fada. Fada is like an open space. Um, an open space that's expansive that's that's not limited uh, in, in its experience so usually they use fada for like outer space in modern Arabic they use it for outer space but um, it refers to any open area um, and so when you move from the realm of focusing on your own personal existence to the realm of witnessing God in this shuhudic, in this it says unlimited space of your contemplation. But what is the contemplation of? It's of God. So my contemplation now is, or my shuhud is to witness God. So in my witnessing of God, then everything expands, because God is expansive, right? And He's infinite, Subhanahu wa Taala. So when I think about His mercy and I think about His power and I think about His attributes, then everything becomes all those things that I. All of those things that we're caving in, they start to expand out. And all of a sudden, there's all kinds of space. Um, and subhanAllah, it's a real thing that you can experience with, with space itself, right? Uh, one of the things that was kind of interesting to us when we were living in Cairo was that... Um, uh, there's a line that just came to mind from, uh, from Talib Kweli. Um, something along the lines of never looked up to see the skies and all of their heavenly glory because the peripheral was buildings with mad stories so you know you're in the middle of all of these buildings with these tall buildings so you never really even get to see the sky and it's in its true glory right he's referring to probably new york in that sense but cairo was very similar that when you're in the city you don't really see the sky because it's just block after block after block after block of apartment buildings. And so what would happen is we didn't even realize what that was doing to us, right? We didn't realize what that was doing to us until we started going to the uh, American University. And the, the campus that we were going to for the American University was off uh, just outside the city. And so in order to get there, we would drive through this kind of like stretch that was not developed yet outside the city into these, into these suburbs where the, universe, where the American University was. And what we would find is as soon as we leave the confines of the city and we hit the open space, you could feel it inside. Like you could just, you could feel like, oh, it's, it's opened up. Now there's room. You don't feel so constricted. 
And this this issue that he's mentioning here in, in this wisdom is similar to that, you know, that if my focus is, is only on myself and witnessing everything about myself, then it's gonna be a prison. But if I'm but if my thoughts and my witness and my contemplation is on my Lord, then it's going to be expansive, expansive, expansive in ways that are unimaginable. And um, this is I think why you find people who um, they have everything and the way they talk about life is as if everything is caved in on them and you find other people who have very little and the way they talk about and look at life as is, it's as if they have everything and it's really just an issue of like so where is their focus is their focus on themselves is their focus on other things that are bigger than themselves and when they focus on that which is bigger than themselves then the exp- the the uh, the space is opened up Okay, so that's 54. 55 is Al Anwar Mataya and Kulubi Wal Asrar. Al Anwar Mataya and Kulubi Wal Asrar. So this one says that lights are the riding mounts of hearts and of their innermost centers. Okay. <coughs> So I'm going to read the commentary and translate the commentary on this one. He says it's very short. He says, "أي أن الأنوار الإلهية التي ترد على قلب مريد وتحصل غالبا من الأذكار والرياضات هي مطايا القلوب والأسرار جمع سر وهو باطن القلب أي توصلها إلى مطلوبها الذي هي متوجهة إليه وهو دخولها حضرة القرب." من الله تعالى كما أن المطية توصل راكبها إلى مطلوبه. So he says these lights, these lights. So again, the metaphor of lights in Islamic spirituality is extremely common, and and it shows up very early. So this is not like a later development of people who were thinking too much and writing books and things, but. Uh, it's it's this idea of illumination of, of spiritual illumination comes very early and comes very regularly so what they're saying here is there's a recognition of uh, this idea of lights that enter upon the heart which are the waridat which came before the wadid that thing that Allah descends upon the heart it gives it some level of illumination so it sees something now uh, in, a, in a metaphysical sense it sees something that it didn't see before it might see an opportunity for gratitude. It might see an opportunity for patience. It might see an opportunity for reflection, for for um, contentment. It might see any number of things. And the way that the heart is able to do that is through that illumination that comes into it as a gift from God. So he says, these lights that descend from God onto the heart, uh, they he says they often are the result of the acts of remembrance and... Um, uh, spiritual exercise that the person does. So the acts of dhikr are pretty clear. You know, you make you make dhikr. You say la ilaha illallah. You say astaghfirullah. You say subhanallah. You will be hamdi. You say subhanallah and You read the Quran. You whatever it might be. You make these acts of dhikr. They have some sort of consequence as relates to illumination of the heart. 
That's one side of it. The other side of it is that they come as a result of the riyadat. The riyadat are the exercises that the person does. So maybe the person finds, uh, as, as we've discussed before, but just by way of uh, a reminder, the person finds, for example, that they have an issue mm, thinking well of other people, you know, or maybe wanting, wanting good for other people. So they, they're very good uh, at wanting good for themselves, but they find that sometimes, especially with certain people, it's hard for them to really want good for them. Or they find themselves kind of feeling like, well, why did that person get this? And stuff like that. So they recognize that that's there inside and they start to work against it. They don't just let that thing s- settle. They say, wait a second, that's wrong. And they try to pull that thing out. And these are the exercises that they're, they're going, their heart is alive and they're going through these exercises. And those exercises, again, are, are the, con- you know, part of, they, they're part of what gives way to this light and this illumination. So those, those lights that come down, they are mataya and qulub. They are the riding mounts of the hearts. So again, it's working with this metaphor of the heart is here and the heart is trying to travel to Allah. The heart is there and the heart is trying to travel to Allah. And what is it that the heart uses to travel in that journey? It travels on those lights that descend into the heart of the believer. It takes those lights and that's that's its that's the that's what it uses as its as its riding animal, its mount to um, to the knowledge of God and to an understanding of God. That's what Mataya is. So in the Asrar, the innermost centers, uh, the way that he translates it or the um, not translates because it's in Arabic, but the way he defines it here is to say that they are the the in like from the heart. There's the the deepest part of the heart is the sir. It's the secret. Um, literally, the word literally means secret. So the sir is the secret. It's the le- like the deepest level of of the heart that knows the true realities of existence and knows its Lord and so on and so forth. So these things there. This inner life of the person, the way that it's going to know God is through these lights, just like the person who's trying to go to a physical destination. They go to that physical destination by um, taking like some sort of um, vehicle. So the vehicle of the the vehicle of the heart and its journey to God is those lights that Allah descends upon the heart. Um, one of the things that I think is, is interesting to think about here um, is that those lights of illumination are many and varied. They are many and varied. And uh, people can have different ones. And they can have different ones at different times. And the reason why I'm saying this is because oftentimes we fall into a oversimplification and reduction of what it means to have a vibrant relationship with God. And we might limit it to particular things. You know, we might limit it to a person's acts of devotion. You know, like this person's really, they're really gifted in prayer. You know, the light of prayer is always coming into their heart and Allah is inspiring them to prayer and they're doing that prayer and they're following that light and they're doing great with it. That's wonderful, you know. Um, 
But there's all types of things that a person could have. And as long as a person is, you know, we all have our basic minimums that we have to fulfill, you know, from our prayer and our charity and our fasting if we're healthy and so on and so forth. Um, but outside of that, we should be wary about falling into uh, this this problem of being too particular about what it means to 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 be close to God, you know. Um, I mean, you might find someone who they don't do, they don't check off all your usual boxes of religiosity, quote unquote, but they really love children and they've dedicated their whole life to building institutions and working with children and teaching them and educating them and supporting them and so on and so forth. And like, you think that's not going to be something that's that, that light that Allah placed in that person's heart to love children in that way, that's not going to be beneficial for them. So each person has different lights. That enable them to do acts of worship and acts of contribution to creation and to humanity that as long as they're done with a good intention are are wonderful and noble acts of worship then that those are all good things right those are all good things so I just want to help us we, we should recall that like I'm I might you know it's it's I think I mentioned the story before of Imam Malik that one of the ascetic people wrote a letter to Imam Malik and he told him this is like the summary of it. That, uh, you know, it's really nice, this knowledge thing that you're doing, but you should probably fast more and like not wear clothes that are so nice as the clothes that you wear. He was known to wear nice clothes and stuff like that, you know. He starts giving him these advices. And Malik responded to him by saying, essentially, that, you know, I'm happy for you and, and what Allah has given you from good deeds that you want to do. And uh, you know, I'm also happy with what he has given me in terms of good deeds that I am inclined to. And you know, to each his own in a sense. Like, do your thing and I'll do my thing. And inshallah, Allah is kareem. Allah is generous. And um, there's, there's no issue with that, right? So like one person might teach. One person might study. One person might clean bathrooms. One person might vacuum floors. One person might really be good to their family. Nobody knows about it. One person might be giving charity to people that nobody else knows about and and you only find out about it after they pass away, so on and so forth. One person might be doing all of those things. Alhamdulillah, Allah gave them the capacity and illumination to do all of those things. Alhamdulillah. But people, we should look for like, what are those good things that I'm inspired to? What are those good things that I'm inspired to? And let me take that, you know, if I'm inspired to X, Y, Z, then let me take that, take that mount to... To my Lord, right? Because that's the amount that He has given me, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Alright, 55. 56 is here. An-Nuru كَمَا أَنَّ الظُّلْمَ جُنْدُ النَّفْسِ فَإِذَا أَرَادُ اللَّهُ أَنْ يَنْصُرَ عَبْدَهُ أَمَدَّهُ بِجُنُودِ الْأَنْوَارِ وَقَطَعَ عَنْهُ مَدَدَ الظُّلَمِ وَالْأَغْيَارِ <coughs> So he says, رضي الله says radiallahu ta'ala anhu 
that um, I keep forgetting that the translation is there because <laughs> I'm used to like reading the Arabic and then not having the translation. So the translation is there. Light is the army of the heart or the soldier. Jund, you could say soldier or you can say army, however you want to look at it, but you get the idea. Light is the army of the heart, just as darkne- darkness is the army of the soul. Instead of soul here, I would probably say self. So this is the nefs. The nefs. The, the word nefs is a little bit tricky because when it's not doing well, it's more like the base self. But when it's been refined and when it's been um, elevated, then it's more like the soul. So it's, but this is like he's referring to darkness is the army of, or the soldier of the base self, the self that incites towards evil. So if Allah wants to give aid to, oh, sorry, that's there. Um, so when God wishes to come to the help of his servant, he furnishes him with armies of light and cuts off from him the reinforcements of darkness and alterities. So uh, basically there's again this idea of light versus darkness and how the illumination and light that's in our hearts, then that's a means by which uh, that helps our heart to go to the direction that it's supposed to go to. And if darkness comes to our heart, then that actually, or to that's, that's what's helping ourself. So it's like, you know, and, and both of those inspirations are there. And that's why in our tradition, we don't have like, you know, it's it's not as simple. Sometimes people will say, "Well, I had this little voice inside me that was telling me this or that," and or I felt inside that myself was telling me this or this. Um, <coughs> it's not necessarily that every thought that enters upon our heart or our mind is a good one. Um, Allah and the angels will inspire the heart to that which is good. They they they're the they're the soldiers of light, and the base self and shaitan are the soldiers of the darkness and they they also will inspire you so sometimes it won't be like um and sometimes it's when you want to do something that's really good you start all of a sudden like shaitan starts making an attack on you like no you shouldn't do that because of this and this and this and this look at that person they do this and that and they don't deserve it and whatever and you start to have all of these thoughts right and all of those thoughts are negativity and darkness and that negativity and darkness is going to feed that which is worst about us you know that which is the worst in us is going to be fed by those by those tendencies and the light that descends upon our hearts from Allah from the angels from the good reminders that come from the righteous believers um, those are all things that are going to take us to that which is good Um, so Um, I'm going to see just if there's anything in the commentary here that I would I want to include. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty much what we've said So that's just the idea Is that there's these two battles that are going on here And we should seek The aid of Allah In, in winning that battle um, And we and this is This is part of uh, You know also getting to know ourselves 
getting to know ourselves helps us to understand this. I never really gave much attention to this issue until uh, I, I came into the opportunity to benefit from a particular teacher who always emphasized knowing one's history. And for me that was new because so much of what we had done with Islam in America up to that point was very ahistorical and it was very very much kind of like premised on the erasure of history and culture and ethnicity and all of these kind of things whatever it might be like it might be Arab South Asian Central Asian it might also be white might also be black you know a lot of these there's a lot of history there that's that's lost as well um, you know there's like um, sometimes mentioned that in order in order to erase the histories of black people when they came from Africa we had to turn them into black people because before they came from Africa they weren't black people they were people of this tribe and that tribe and this one they were Fulani and they were Wolof and they were Mandinka and they were um, um, <coughs> Balanta and they were all these different things but in order to erase them we had to lump them into one thing but part of what was lost at the same time was that this also happened with quote-unquote white people right like white people weren't all the same either it wasn't all, it wasn't that all of the people from a european background were the same they were they were of german background they're of irish background they're of scottish background they're of french background they're of british background maybe different areas in britain so on and so forth right and so all of that was never really <coughs> considered in my mind until um I met this I met this teacher and subhanallah like it really <coughs> getting to know kind of like a better understanding of the people quote unquote that I come from I can see like certain tendencies sometimes and you realize like okay this is something we have to seek Allah's help to overcome this thing mm-hmm. and but this is something that's in the bloodline and this other thing, and maybe at the same time, there's good things that are that way too. Uh, it's always that way. There will be some things that you're like, hmm, I need to pay attention to this. Some things are going to be good. Um, some things you find like, oh, I didn't realize that that was something that, you know, my relatives used to do. You you find yourself inclined to it, and you think it's just like you know you were inclined to it, but it's actually something that it's in your history somehow. In any case, the point is that there's these battles that are going on internally. And the good of those battles are the battles that are being fortified by the soldiers of light, of that which is true, that which is connected to uh, the divine. And the bad of those are what's connected to like our own base desires and inclinations. Uh, basically, the worst of us versus the best of us. Uh, Sheikh Nu'man Beg, Hafidhullah, may Allah preserve him and his efforts and his uh, family. And may he have mercy on his mother. He told me one time uh, something that his mother used to tell him. And I thought it was really profound. She used to tell him, he said, Don't let the worst of you get the best of you. Don't let the worst of you get the best of you. Right? So we have we have these things, you know. Sometimes they uh, they bubble up and they try to take over. And we have to fight them. Tell them, no, you're not in charge here. 
uh, we're in charge here and we're going to go to Allah. I'm going to follow the heart, I'm not going to follow the nafs. So Allah and Allah gives aid when he wants when he, all of that is a gift from Allah. So that's why we don't do that like depending on ourselves, but we do that depending on our Lord and asking him and pleading with him to give us support uh, in the efforts that we're trying to make inshallah I mean <laughs> so he says um, in the end of the commentary of this of this one he says um فعلى العبد أن يفزع أن يفزع إلى ربه عند التقاء الصفين ويسأله عن عيانته على النفس الأمارة بالسوء متوسلا بسيد كونين. So he says that the, so the servants of God, when they find themselves uh, at the meeting place of these two ranks, you know, these two lines, the ranks like in a in an army sense, صف. You know, or in the rows of prayer also is used but the rows of an army are the sufuf the saf and so he finds himself now at the meeting point of these two they're lined up the dark is lined up and the light is lined up and the battle is about to go down right he says uh, then when they find themselves like this they need, they must ask Allah and plead to Allah that he gives them the aid and the ability to overcome their, their base self uh, and they should do so uh, through the through asking asking through the rank of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam by the by the rank of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We're not going to go off on that tangent. Number fifty-seven is an nur lahun kashf, wal basiratu lahun hukm, wal qalbu lahun iqbalu wal idbar. So this is very interesting. What he says here. Uh, the light insight okay this is interesting insight belongs to light discernment to the intellect and both progression and retrogression belong to the heart Hmm. so So basically what he's saying here is he's giving three kind of like stages. So the first is the stage of even being able to, um, so this insight belongs to light, kashf belongs to light. So kashf is to understand what things really are so if we were to use like a physical example okay if we were to use a physical example as relates to physical light um and we've we've given this one before but like say you go into a room and that room is completely dark it's a normal room it's your bedroom there's a bed there's probably a desk there's some other stuff whatever all of the stuff is there it's completely dark you're not able to come to like a conclusion over where you should go to sleep. 
if say you don't know the room, right? If you know the room, whatever. If you but you don't if you don't know where you are in that room, it's like if someone's ever been uh if you've ever been in the ocean when the the waves are really strong and you get hit by a really hard wave and you get tossed under and for like the beginning of your disorientation you can't really actually figure out which way is up so you know you need to get to the surface but you haven't you're having a hard time figuring out which way it is because you don't have anything to help you to begin to recognize what is what okay so the same thing in the room you go into the room the room's completely dark you can't distinguish between things you can't tell what's on the wall you can't tell where the bed might be you can't tell where there might be a chair where there might be some legos that have been left as landmines by the children you don't know where you're going to find any of these things because it's completely dark and if you turn it up the light just a little bit just like a little bit of light in the room there's a certain level of discernment then uh the the there's a certain level of of understanding what's going on around you that that develops and as you turn the light up and up and up and up things become more and more clear so what he's beginning with here is that a nur this inner light the light with the capital l here that he uses the inner light that comes from that worship from that spirituality from the development of the nafs and the heart and so on all of that is a means by which we can unveil uh, Keshf also has a meaning of unveiling So you can unveil and begin to understand Actually what is good and what is bad So in the commentary he says um, uh, That the Keshf al-ma'ani Ka-husn al-ta'a Wa-qubh al-ma'asiyah So one of the things that they'll be able to understand Is the beauty and goodness of obedience obedience to God and the things that God has told us to do they'll begin to recognize the beauty in those things and they'll begin to realize the ugliness in disobeying Allah that Allah has told us not to do certain things and you'll be able to understand like okay that's it you start to see things as they are but then the judgment upon it to really you know have a hukum to, ju- to have a judgment upon it um and to really understand it, then that's that's that comes from the basira. That comes from the inner capacity to of intellect and understanding. Uh, that's this is now the next capacity is the basira, the insight that a person has. The trans the difficulty with this translation is that it starts to like normally I would translate basira as insight, but here they've translated keshf as insight, so it starts to get a little bit confusing. But the basira is the is the um, it's the internal eye. It's the eye that you see, and so, and and it gives you that that true intellect. So that's what then it be, things become more clear. Then you have the capacity to to understand what it is. This thing is good. This thing is bad. Whatever. Um, and then, and then the heart. The heart is the one that gives you the capacity to move away from or move away from that which is bad and move towards that which is good so these are the he's giving you kind of like an anatomy of the metaphysical world in a sense giving you an anatomy of of the of the spiritual life that the spiritual life has these different capacities and these things sometimes um they have to be developed so i have to develop i have to make sure that i'm doing things that are going to increase the light that is in my heart <laughs> 
and then I have to probably use that internal reasoning in a sense that intellect the internal intellect to come to the right conclusions on things and then I have to strengthen my heart you know um, uh, there was like a, a teacher that I asked one time about something and his response to it was that you have to strengthen your heart it's, it's not that necessarily like you're bad or um, that this and that. What, what's, what's wrong is that your heart just isn't strong enough yet. And you have to strengthen your heart. And, um, you know, uh, and that comes with time. That we, 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 can, we do these things, we do these things, we do these things. And the heart then becomes stronger and stronger in its ability to take us towards that which is good and keep us away from that which is bad. Inshallah. So, oh wow, there's a lot put in here. Mashallah. Allah bless you. We're not going to finish all those today. We'll do this one. This is going to be the last one. Inshallah. If you have any questions as they come up, feel free to put them in the chat box. That's why I, ha I have an idea of how much time I should allot for questions in the end. But if I don't see any, then I'm going to just go to the end of the time inshallah so if you have questions as they come up feel free to put them down in the chat box barakallahu fikum so 58 he says la tufrihka atta'atu li'annaha barazat mink wafrah biha li'annaha barazat minallahi ilayk qul bifadlillahi wa bi rahmatihi fabithalika fal yafrahu that's very beautiful. So he says, Let not obedience make you joyous because it comes from you. So you do an act of obedience. You do an act of worship, an act of obedience. Don't let don't don't become joyous because it because it came from you. But rather be joyous over it because it comes from God to you. It comes from God to you. The ability to do that act of worship in the first place is a gift from God to you. So be joyous over that. You know, don't don't be joyous over the other thing. Be joyous over that. Um Mashallah, you found that verse fast. Yes, ten fifty eight. Um And then this verse is quoted, say, in the grace of God and in his mercy, in that they should rejoice, it is better than what that which they hoard. So literally this verse is saying, if you're gonna be excited, if you're gonna be celebrate something, celebrate Allah's grace and Allah's mercy. Don't celebrate the things that you you yourself have have um, hoarded or uh, accumulated. Celebrate God's mercy. And this is one of the verses that they use oftentimes. Uh, about celebrating the birthday of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, they say that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is rahmatin lil alamin. He is a mercy to all of creation, and in the verse, Allah is saying, um, "In the grace of God and His mercy, rejoice about that." And part of Allah's mercy is the, is the sending of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But one can look at it in any number of ways, right? Like, so I'm going to be. Uh, I'm grateful that Allah gives us the opportunity to gather together 
and to read books like this together, to be in each other's company, to benefit from each other's company. Um, grateful for the opportunity to worship God, that He still gives us the capacity to turn towards Him, and so on and so forth. These are great blessings that He has given us. And uh, those are things to rejoice over. Those are things to rejoice over. And of course we know that when we rejoice over something and we're grateful for it, Allah gives us more. And that's, that's you know, what is, what is it that means everything in life? What means everything in life is, the, is to say La ilaha illallah, to say subhanallah, to say alhamdulillah, to be able to pray, to be able to fast, be able to serve our parents and our loved ones and so on and so forth. These are all, I mean, like to have a halal income. These are wonderful, amazing things that we, we have gratitude over. You know, like the, the number of pencils that I have or the beds that I have or the house, the things that I have in my house, that's not really something to rejoice over. But to rejoice over is that which is connected to the permanent. Uh, so we ask Allah to give us nur in our hearts and to give us basira in our hearts and to strengthen our hearts to be able to follow that which is good. Allahumma ameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Any comments or anything that anyone has or things they would like to share? Let me take this. Um, let me go back to the. Um, go back over here. Um, if there's anyone, if you're on video and you have something, you can raise your hand if you want to share something. Uh, if you're not on video, then you kind of got to put it somewhere else. Let us know some other way, inshallah. And we can give you, can, I can unmute you so that you can share whatever you would like to share. Inshallah, anyone. Sam, it's good to see you. Hakeem. Uh, the two Ali's, mashallah. Uh, good to see everyone, mashallah. Nobody? Oh, mashallah. Shwaib, For the verse of Yunus, should we celebrate religious accomplishments? Uh, you could you could say that. For the verse of Yunus, should we celebrate religious accomplishments? In a sense, that's what the two Eids are. Right? In a sense, that's what the two aids are. Someone's fire, uh, smoke, smoke detector is going off. I'm just going to assume it's someone cooking. Uh, it, unless something else happens. Um, but in a sense, that's what the two aids are. The, the, the Eid of Fitr is a celebration of the ending of the month of Ramadan and, and what we accomplish in that month. And the Eid al-Adha is a celebration of the rites of Hajj and the days of Dhul Hijjah. Um, so, yeah, in a sense, that's that. Maybe also have an Amin party or a Bismillah party or other things that people might do. Um, sometimes when people start wearing hijab, they have parties, you know, stuff like that. This, it's good. It's good to celebrate good um, and encourage people towards good, inshallah. I don't know if you guys can hear Zakia, but she's, she's like so. Mashallah. So stinking cute. Uh, so. Alright. I guess that means there's nothing else. Inshallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam. Wa sallam. Muhammad wa alayhi wa sallam. Wa sallam. Allah, we ask you to illuminate our hearts with your remembrance. 
and to help us to overcome the uh, inner trials and tribulations that we need to overcome. Allah, we ask you to aid us in rectifying ourselves, to help us to be people of uh, embodiment of all of that which is good, and to help us to overcome all that which is bad. We ask you, Allah, to help us in everything that we are trying to do, to make us sources of good in the lives of others, to protect us and our loved ones from the uh, illnesses that are going around. We ask you, Allah, to be with us in all of our affairs and to give us knowledge and understanding of the religion that is true and profound and deep. And we ask you, Allah, even more importantly than that, that you give us the ability to act upon it and to worship you and turn towards you in all that we do. Allahumma ameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil Barakallahu feekum. Good to see everyone. <coughs> oh man. Uh, there's a really good question that was asked. Um, uh, um, <coughs> I think. I think I had spoken about it in case someone made the first session, like literally the first session of this of this course. You may have heard it, but um, you know the question is, what is it that inspired Ibn Al Ta'ala to these wisdoms? I mean, uh, like how did he come up with this? <laughs> that's that's part of what I, I, I every time I sit with the hikam, I'm like, this is from Allah, you know, because. How do you do this? How how do you? I mean, these things are, and they and like so many of the commentators over over time, they say like what he said in these wisdoms is, it's like the essence of our relationship with God. So how did he do that? Um, what inspired these things? I, I don't know of like a particular story that's that's said around it, other than. Um, like something I heard one sheikh say in his commentary on these is that, you know, in in many ways these are kind of like an evidence of the Hadith Qudsi, where Allah says that um, nothing that the servant doesn't draw closer to Allah by anything more beloved to him than that which he has obligated upon them, and then he does the optional until and he does the optional until that person becomes beloved to Allah, and when they become beloved to Allah. Then he becomes the hand by which they strike, and the ear by which they hear, and the tongue by which they speak, and the foot by which they walk, and so on and so forth. So basically, the it's it's getting at that like the person who is really committed in their relationship with Allah, and they've taken. I mean, he was a person of great learning. He was known to be a scholar of of fiqh. He was known to be a scholar of aqidah. You know, like all of the ulama in those times were scholars of the various Islamic disciplines. So, you know, all of that was there, and he's working on rectifying himself and being being better. And he spent his whole life in that, right? And then, it, and and then at some point, this is what comes out. You know, when the heart has been filled and filled and filled and filled and filled with all of these beautiful and wonderful and true things, and all of that which is bad and dark has been removed from it, then. What comes out of the heart at that point are these kind of wondrous, beautiful things, and that's really just a gift from Allah. Like even with all of the wonderful, amazing people in history, there's only one. There's there's like there's there's other books of hikam, but there's only one that's known as like when you say the hikam, 
it's known that that's Ibn Ata'ala. So it's like there was something special about what Allah gave him in this. Um, but <clears throat> I don't know of like a particular story or something around it. I think it's quite remarkable that, as I had mentioned uh, in the past, that you know his sheikh, his primary sheikh, is Abul Abbas al Mursi, who is uh, you know a very famous sheikh. He's buried in Alexandria, in Egypt. Um, his mosque is well known and stuff. So people go there to, to visit and make du'a and say salam and stuff. Um, so he was a very famous student of Abul Abbas al Mursi. And the other really famous student of Abu Abbas al-Mursi is Imam al-Busiri, the author of the Burda. So the Burda being the poem of the cloak um, praising the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which is, um, you know, arguably, but not there's not that much of an argument on it. Like at least one of the, if not the greatest and most well-known poem praising the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in Muslim history. So, at least it's the most well-known, you can say that. Um, and the hikam of Ibn Ata'ilah are a manifestation of Tawheed. Like, what does it really mean to have Tawheed, oneness, belief in oneness of God? And so, how amazing must their teacher have been? Like, what was the ocean of the shahadatain? Of La ilaha illallah Muhammadun Rasulullah. What was the ocean of understanding of those two phrases? That was in the heart of Abu Abbas al-Mursi radiallahu an, such that it manifested in these two people the way that it did. I mean that you have one of the most amazing works about La ilaha illallah and one of the most amazing works about Muhammad and Rasulullah coming from two people who are students of the same teacher. You know, um, it's it's just really remarkable. May Allah have mercy on them and you know help us to benefit from them. Inshallah. Um, that's all I have on that. I am curious though right now to recall the exact death date of Ibn Al Ta'ala. particular reason he died in 709 okay because you know it's interesting 7th century 8th 9th 10th century there's like so many great scholars in that period and especially at the end of that period and a lot of them were like around Cairo at some level um, Abu al-Hassan al-Shadini Al-Izz ibn Abd al-Salam Al-Qarafi Ibn Ata'ala um, Al-Busiri Al-Suyuti Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani Al-Sakhawi These are like huge figures They're all in that period in Cairo But one of the interesting things about that Is that that was also Like for sure in the 800s In Cairo They had two major plague incidents where like huge amounts of people were dying. That's why Ibn Hajar wrote about the plague. Suyuti wrote about the plague. Um, you know, like a Suyuti says about the plague that hit Cairo in the 830s, and another one 
There's one in the 830s and another one in, I think it was the 870s or 60s, after Hijra. And in each of them, <coughs> like a thousand people were dying a day in Cairo. Like 80,000 people died in the first one, 90,000 people died in the second one. And the overall population of Cairo was like 200,000 at that time. So, huge percentage. And Damascus was the same in that period. Like, the Black Plague really devastated that region. Syria, Egypt, uh, even in, even in other, other parts as well of, of, like, the Mediterranean Muslim lands. Um, so, I've just been thinking about, like, subhanAllah, that at that same time that all of these things were happening... These amazing, incredible people were coming out, and it's also the time when, like, the Mongols was happening and Crusaders. Like, it was all, it was all going down at the same time. The Crusades and the Mongols and the plague were all going down at the same time. And out of that, you have like Salahuddin, and you have the Ottoman Empire, and you have all kinds. You have Abdul Hassan al-Shadidi, and like all these. Uh, Abdul Qadir Jilani is just right before uh, that. Radiallahu an. So it's a really remarkable period. Anyways, I went off on a huge tangent. Inshallah, barakallahu fikum. And uh, <laughs> until we meet again. Subhanakum, bihamdulillah, inshallah, wa na ilayhi, 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 wa na il